Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast show. My very special guest is Dr. Lucas McMillan. Welcome, Lucas, for coming back on the show. Yes, hello. So good to be here. Excited to have our chat. So since we last chatted, you've been sharing a few testimonies of yourself and something that's been happening to you in the line of chronic pain. So let's dive into that today. So just yes. give us a bit of background. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a long history of personal martial arts. I've been able to hurt myself in many different ways. But recently I had the experience of something that lasts a little bit longer and that affects my nerves. So I injured my neck. Originally it started off as the usual injury. But over time it has turned into a significant weakness in part of my arm. It has turned into pain down the entire arm and has changed my sleeping patterns quite a bit. So these are things that I've learned about. These are things that I've seen patients have. I mean, people that come in to see me have had these exact issues. But let me tell you, when you're on the other side of the fence, it is a very different feeling. The experience of it gives you a different kind of understanding of what it means to have this pain, of what it gets in the way of, and of the things it starts to teach you, of the changes that start happening. So Personally, I've been quite surprised with that. I certainly don't know everything around the pain sphere. I'm actively trying to learn, but I'm amazed at how this feels. I'm amazed at how powerful it is and how the experience of having something always be there, always there. It's there every time I try to sleep. It's there with certain kinds of movements. It's improved drastically. I'm taking steps to get it better. I have hope, but it is powerful. Excellent. So Dr. Lucas is a naturopathic physician, initially was a trained nurse. And now, as he's been saying for several years, actually, he's been struggling with this pain down from his neck and his arm. But this step into the humanity side of chronic pain is different for us. And that's something I've also been able to relate to recently myself. So for our audience, can you just share what is going on in the brain when somebody has this chronic pain state? So if we think about it, as a human being, if we're used to going through a certain pattern in life, day to day, we have our activities, we have our ability to sleep, we have our general passions. We build a set of habits around that. When these habits are disrupted by something like pain, it throws you off. Chemically, it will change you. It'll change your level of hormones. It'll change your levels of cortisol. And your brain very much reacts to that. So we know that over time, the experience of pain can physically change us. It can measurably change the way our brain looks, the way our brain fires, and the hormones that are produced by our brain. So 
we know that this is a powerful experience. We can measure it. But as always, reading about it in a book and actually going through the experience are going to be two very different things. Exactly. And what are some of the fears that have come along the way with this journey? Yeah, this is one of the things I really like to talk to people about as well. The fear that it might not get better, the fear that it might get worse. And even if the pain goes away, there's a fear of a return of the pain or a fear that I'm going to do something to recreate it. But it's a very real thing, and that's, that part can permeate into everything. Well, if I was able to do this before and I had a problem doing something new, maybe I don't want to try anything new anymore. Maybe I don't want to challenge myself. Maybe I'm inhibiting my own growth on purpose because that growth might set me up to hit that roadblock again of whatever pain or injury that I originally caused. So very powerful. I think this is something that we don't talk enough about. It's a very real, very human experience that anybody who's had a legitimate encounter with an injury, with the pain, with, I think, even a traumatic event. I mean, this doesn't necessarily mean only physical pain. These can completely change our trajectory, especially if we let it, if we catastrophize, if we focus on the potential negative outcomes of these. Exactly. So how have you been able to manage and then conquer? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. How are you doing this with fear? So I'll be honest, with the initial injury, fear wasn't in my brain at all. And it crept in over time when it initially when it got worse. So something I don't think I've shared with you specifically, every once in a while after I hurt my neck and I was having the nerve type symptoms of weakness, of pain, of numbness, I would test myself. So I would do push-ups, I would do things of that sort. So I had a decent idea of what my body was capable of. One day I was able to do push-ups. The very next day I went to go do one and my arm collapsed and my face hit the floor. So it was an overnight change, a significant loss of strength. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know it was there. And it literally hit me in the face. I, I don't know how better to describe that. So that's a very powerful experience. And that was, for me, that was where the reality of a potential worsening of this condition hit. Then that pushed my brain into a little bit of a, how far can this go? When will this resolve? Will this resolve? Will I be part of that percentage of people that might struggle with this forever? So strategies to get over that. One, I'll lean a little bit on the experience. Thankfully, I've seen people with this before. I've seen people get better. I've seen a bit of a range. So I know there's hope. I, I believe that there's power in having hope. And there's a huge power in knowing there's many ways we can conquer this problem. If one approach doesn't work, I can try other things. There are many different ways we can actually address pain. And there's many different ways there are many different people even that I can lean on to try to get there. I'm not alone in this. I'm very aware of how not alone in this problem I am. So for me, that's been a tremendous help. And I'm definitely progressing. I feel quite a bit better. Honestly, The it's not there for most of my day. So that has made it much better. As I see progress, every small victory very much moves my brain forward. I feel quite a bit better. And yeah, these days, I'm feeling pretty good. Certainly not resolved over the symptoms of it. but. Life is much better. Wonderful. Now, we know that the mind and the brain are connected, right? We can't really separate them. They're like two buddies hanging out together. Mm. So what ways have you been managing the, so the thought process that goes with this? You mentioned fear, but that's just mm. one emotion. What about the thoughts that go along with that? Well, I really believe most of us have an internal dialogue that we would never, ever have with another living person. 
The language we use is very powerful. The words that we choose, if we really pay attention, can be quite strong and for better and for worse. So in times like this, it really tends to push us in that negative direction. So being aware of that, just knowing that every time I say this is crap, you should be beyond this, you should be progressing, or you should know how to solve this, or you should be in a better place today than you are. Those moments when you hear that, when there's that internal dialogue, being aware that that is a powerful moment, that those words will change how your body is functioning. In essence, we're creating that problem. We're really adding power to that problem. So actively changing that. Okay, I'm having a bad day or I'm having a bad moment. This too shall pass. And if this specific pain doesn't pass, I'm going to find something that is so good in my life, it pulls my attention away from that. I don't believe in avoiding the problem. That's not necessarily what I mean, but focusing on it, dwelling on it in a non-productive way, which would be catastrophizing. This is the worst thing that could happen. The poor me phenomenon is real. And I've, yeah, believe me, I felt that when those symptoms hit my face at the floor, what did I do to deserve this? Being aware that that is part of the process. There's no other way to do this. This is, we have to have, that experience. And if we're aware of it, we can start to shape that in a way that recreates how we think, how we feel, and how our body reacts. Yes. I love how you've described just getting stuck in, embracing mm. it. You know, as you said, it's, we can't avoid this stuff. We're human. We're none of us are exempt. And mm. these are situations that all of us are going to experience at one time or other. And, you know, I love what you said about this too shall pass. That's something that, that I encourage my patients to say, this is only temporary would be my wording. But it's the same mm -hmm. thing, you know. You're taking a stand for what you believe, what you hope for, what you desire. And it's so important that we are directing those thoughts because, as you know, we can go into this spiral of anxiety and depression. And before you know it, it's overwhelming. And I'm sure you could relate to your patients as well who are struggling with that. And maybe some of our audience members are struggling with the, the mental, emotional side of this journey. But as you've testified, you know, we need to take a stand for what you want and where you want to go with this, right? Now, I love what you said. Look at what's good in life. Oh, my gosh. Can you give us some examples that maybe our audience could relate to, that they go, okay, I, I get that. I, I could do that. Fair. Uh, well, for me today, I was watching my daughter bounce up and down on one of, I don't know what it's called. It's a, a hanging bouncer and watching her little legs just give her, I mean, it's a small joy. There's really nothing absolutely amazing about it, maybe to the onlooker, but there's that small family moment where you have this tiny smiling little blob of jelly. I mean, she's pretty pudgy, <laughs> honestly, but that was a moment of joy. That little moment of joy completely pulls me away from anything that could be any type of problem in my life. That was amazing. So for me, sometimes, honestly, the drive home, something that simple where if home life is a little bit crazy, if work life is a little bit crazy, sometimes that simple turn off in between, I can just sign off, maybe listen to a Dr. Femister podcast or otherwise. <laughs> there are many, many options, right? I mean, it's for me, those moments of just turning off a little bit, just relaxing. I mean, we could call it a meditation. It's along that side where things start to just 
evaporate. They start to leave the system a little bit. I can slow down, I can reset, and I can get a little bit of myself back. For me, those are, those are little bits of joy. And when I sort of realize, like, this is nice, I am just, I mean, this car in front of me isn't moving. I'm going to be here for a little bit. And I don't need to think right now. I don't need to work. I don't need to do anything. I can do whatever I want to do. I can think about whatever I want to think about. I can call somebody. I usually don't. I just enjoy that. Yeah, just embracing the moment and just going into joy. It's, it's great you mentioned this. I've had a term called the coin of healing. And I share this with most of my patients. And it's like there's two sides to managing our chronic pain. One is all the activities we do. We've mentioned a few today. Go and see the doctor, do therapies, do cognitive behavioral activities like maybe writing or positive affirmations. And there's lots of things. You know, our whole career is based on this. Mm. The other side of the coin of healing is enjoyment and joy. You know, enjoy, mm. be in joy, spend some time there. And just pausing for those simple moments. It could be, you know, a sip of tea or coffee. It could be, I love what one patient said to me once. She says, you know, I'm so grateful in the morning for the gift that I get of opening up my eyes because I'm in the present moment. And it's mm. like, wow, you know, <laughs> it just takes a whole level of gratitude to a completely different level. Yeah. And, you know, it's so true. Like, it's a miracle that we, we can, our body functions the way it does. It's a miracle that we can see with our eyes, we can hear with our ears, we can taste and we can smell and we can touch. And just the simple things we always take for granted. And if we just pause and slow down and enjoy it, you know, go to the heart, even if put your hand on your heart and just take a moment and think about your heart, feel about your heart, and just really appreciate what you're appreciating. As you know, the work at Heart Math Solutions in, or the Institute down in Northern California talks about this coherence of the brain and the heart. And when we are coherent with a joyful moment, there's a synchronicity that happens between the brain waves and the the heart waves, the electromagnetic waves of the heart. Just like you've got your child, as you mentioned, and you just, you've got the smiling little cherub in front of you, and you just feel one, connected, present, and all your worries go away. And those moments, it's been shown that we're literally reducing cortisol, mm. literally, you know, increasing other hormones like dopamine and serotonin, and also other neurotransmitters. And the health benefits, I think they've measured up to 20 different health benefits from simply being connected with those joy moments. It's so powerful. If anybody's interested in learning about the science of this, you can look up Heart Math Solutions or the Heart Math Institute. And there's lots of great blog posts and you know, connections to the knowledge of the science. I've been doing this for almost 30 years now down in California. And it's, it's, the evidence is there. I love what Gibber Mati says in his book, or he'd said in public once, I heard him. He's a very famous family physician, now retired in Vancouver, who wrote the book, When the Body Says No. And mm. it's all related to the hidden stresses. But what he talks about is it's not the lack of evidence. It's in spite of the evidence. We have research around stress and how we master it. And this, back to what you said, back to this joyful moments are just so critical. I can't emphasize this enough to our patients mm -hmm. listening to this or our clients listening to this. So yes. I really thank you for bringing that up. 
that's a really good point. My pleasure. Um, along the cortisol lines, um, for anybody who's really chemically oriented, something I find really interesting is cortisol is largely related to our stress response to what's going on in our lives. We can measure differences, like you said, after certain activities. Now, what's one of the biggest things we're going to say give to a knee or give to a hip if we experience inflammation or experience a flare? We're going to give an injection of something that mimics cortisol. So we know it's related to that inflammatory response. We know it's related to pain. It's absolutely part of the picture. So we know that things like joy actually affect it. And chemically, we can measure the hormones like cortisol and the effects they have. For me, anyway, that was one of the first mind blasters where I was personally going through some tougher times some years ago, and one of my mentors recommended I get some tests done. We saw cortisol was completely out to lunch. And for me, that was the first time I connected the chemical versus the experiential or the emotional part of my body and really the parts of everybody's body. There's very much a real connection. And I just that was so important for me, I had to say it. I feel like that's something that I hope comes across. Yes, we have the science to back this stuff up. You know, you mentioned something called the stress response. And it's mm. interesting because stress is not a term that we use in medicine, not allopathic medicine or traditional medicine. I think in the naturopathic medicine world that you work in, live in, I think it's a very big part of your communication dialogue. But the work done with Beth Darnell down in Stanford, which I've had the privilege of working alongside her and teaching a workshop called The Empowered Belief, and it talks about pain response equaling the stress response. And these hormones, as you mentioned, cortisol and our, you know, our shallow breathing happens and our faster heart rate happens and our tension builds up in the body and all of a sudden we get this pain response is getting worse and worse. But when we step into the opposite, so let's talk about the opposite side of the stress response is the relaxation response. Tell us what happens in the body when we move into that area. Yeah, absolutely. So when we start getting out of that stress, out of the adrenaline, out of that sort of fight or flight experience, our body starts to focus on repair. It starts to focus on things like digestion, the ability to break down the nutrients that we need to put ourselves back together. It starts focusing on absorption so we can actually absorb the nutrients to put ourselves back together. And it starts to focus on actually putting our body back together. So our body, for example, will release growth hormone and many of the growth factors take their activity at nighttime. This is one of the ultimate times of we're not stressed, right? This is an absolute resting time for our body. We can get miniature versions of that throughout the day if we take the time to breathe, if we take the time to think, if we take that moment when we're stuck in traffic to just slow down, to actually let our body put itself back together instead of encouraging it to be in this fight or flight response. So again, it's another example of that measurable change. We can see it in something as simple as heart rate. If you just hold on to your wrist, or push onto that part of your neck where the pulse is, you can feel the difference if you slow down and take a breath. That is the immediate difference that we see from these things. Exactly. Yeah, slow down, reflect, have some reflection on it. You know, pause and just think about a few things. That's another thing that I've been encouraging, or I've been encouraged to do by my mentor and, and my therapist as well. Where Wayne, slow down, you're getting stressed out, and stop. Oh, yeah, that thing called stop. I don't do that very often. You know, <laughs> slow down and stop <laughs> and reflect. You know, take a deep breath. Do some slow, deep breathing. And it changes the physiology. It changes the chemistry. It changes the neurotransmitters in the brain. 
and it allows our serotonin and things that are actually largely coming from our intestine, as you said, rest and digest. Mm. I love that little, don't know what you call it, that synchronous words um, phrase, mm. rest and digest. <laughs> because yes, we do digest our food, we get more nutrients, and also we get the, the serotonin and the dopamine from the intestinal flora, because that's where 95% of that mm. comes from. So yes. we need to slow down and prepare. And, you know, as you know, the, the body's programmed for this. Mm-hmm. Like, a question for you. Have you come across or done some research on the DNA of healing? DNA of healing? Yeah. No, that one I can't say that I have. Okay. No worries. I've just been reading some books recently and it talks about telomeres. And okay, telomeres yeah. are, I think they're on the end of one chromosome. And they're actually reflecting the longevity of the human. Yeah, um, that's anti-aging medicine. There's yes, a mirror. yes. Yes, it's fascinating stuff because we are programmed to live a long life. There's no question about it. And when we live like this, though, we're resting and digesting. You know, when we're doing slow, deep breathing, when we're going for exercise, when we're having fun with our family, when we're really engaging in the fullness of life, we're switching off those stress responses and we're actually changing the DNA structure. We're elongating the length of the chromosomes related to this telomere, which mm. is a section of the, of the chromosome. And um, there was a Nobel Prize for Medicine, I think it was about six years ago, for this very subject. So it's, I've heard this from several authors now, and um, I bought a book recently called The Telomere Effect, to kind of dive into it more. But you nice. know, this is literally happening on the DNA level, guys, when you dive in to the repair and digest section of our life because we all need it. You know, we yeah. all certainly need it. Just yeah, one, one think... question that, that's come up in my mind. You mentioned about sleep. Any tips for our audience today about sleep? Ah, yes. Huge point that I, I think we should really be talking a lot more about. First off, one of my favorite resources, one of the best books that I'm aware of, is called Why We Sleep. I wish I could remember the author's name off the top of my head. I go through a lot of audiobooks. That's part of what I do on the drives. But um, unbelievable resource to talk about some of the tips and some of the reasons why we need sleep. But I'm a big believer in sleep hygiene. So being aware of the light exposure, the couple of hours before bed. I'm a big believer in watching our caffeine intake, especially if we're the type of person that breaks caffeine down a little bit more slowly. Usually stopping around between 2 to 4 p.m. is okay for most people. I'm assuming we're not drinking excessively before then. Actually having a chance to slow down before bed. Like One of the questions I ask my people is, what do you do in the couple of hours before you go to sleep? And I've had a few people say, oh, it's fine. I, I read books. Well, what are you reading? Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. So that adrenaline provoking, very exciting, but really not sleep inducing book. Now, the flip side of that is anything inspirational. It's never a bad thing to read inspirational texts, but if you're reading that business book that's going to solve that problem you've been working on or other inspiration that is going to cause that that spiraling effect where you start thinking many different things is not going to help the sleep response. So I also think the difference between sleep quantity and sleep quality doesn't get a lot of talk. So if we're sleeping eight hours, we wake up, we still don't feel right. There's a decent chance that the sleep that we had wasn't very effective. So sleep hygiene can affect that to some extent if we decrease our light exposure at night. And the sort of vague descriptor I often use for people there is if you can see your hand stretched out all the way in front of your face before you go to sleep, there's a chance that this is too much light for you. Because when our eyes are closed, 
I'm doing this. I guess you can't see me on the podcast, but when our eyes are closed, our eyeballs are still seeing. There's still light that is passing through that. We just have this little skin flap that actually covers the eye. So if there's enough light that I can close my eyes and still see light coming through that, it can still be affecting the sleep process. Beyond that, large meals before sleep are likely affecting in a negative way. If you wake up in the middle of the night, depending on how you wake up, we might approach it a little bit differently. If people wake up of course, gasping, we might start looking at that. But I find that that stress response bleeds into our sleep. It bleeds into that time when we're supposed to be healing. So sometimes the answer has nothing to do with sleep at all. Sometimes the answer is comes back to even the basics of what we're talking about. If we have a major problem with stress, we'll never get rid of that stress or not easily for most of us. If we need those stress outlets. We need a way to get that out. That's where stress becomes actionable for most of us. We can find a way to actually relieve some of that. So I think that's important. I mean, the single mothers that come in that can't change the active stress and the sleep concerns that they have, we try to work on sleep quality. Uh, we try to give them the best chance for success there and help them to engage those stress outlets. Okay, listen, it's been fantastic having you on the show again. I covered a lot of subjects and really diving into your own personal story and relating that to our audience is just gold, I think. Healers, it's important that our clients, our patients know that we're actually walking this journey as well and we're not exempt yes. from this, right? Any final thoughts on tonight's topic? Yes. I. It's funny that we've touched on some topics that some people describe as cliche, right? I mean, some people will dismiss it without really diving into what this means. If we live a life without joy, whether we have pain or not, that's a depressing thought. That alone is demotivating. That alone will create many of these problems. So honestly, take a moment to find out what you love doing and find a way to do it whether it hurts or not. And especially in those times of pain, absolutely guilty of this as well. It's something that I've been pushing back into my life um, since that injury, especially since the more recent um, sort of iteration of the injury. I wasn't doing my main sport, my main passion for some time. I need to find a way to push these things back in my life to enjoy it. So for me, I've been more picking up a guitar and finding other, other outlets and enjoyments, but that will help. That honestly will help. That will make so many parts of the experience better and it will give you the best chance to heal to put yourself back together and to to be your best self again excellent thank you for that i just was checking online there so the book by matthew walker why we sleep wonderful yes. resource and uh, just again thank you so much dr lucas for coming on it'd be great to have you again later in the year um i love talking to you and it was good to see you tonight again. Likewise, my pleasure, it was fun. I'm, I'm absolutely honored to be here. So thank you so much, Dr. Wayne. 